today is awesome. Uh, fired up for this podcast. We're going to get to Trent Dill for a little bit later. We'll do the Burrow stuff. We'll do Rodgers as MVP because I think uh, Trent brings up a great point. I'm going to do a little opener recap in week 17 and why I like so many AFC teams better than the number one seed. And then the college opt-outs and then life advice, including, um, I guess we got a cologne talk there again. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Okay, lots to get to here. Week 17 started weird. It was kind of like, what? Remember back in the day of the ESPN, we'd have those those radio shows on a weekend and be like, what the hell, week 17? We title them all the time. I always think of these stupid titles for them all the time. Uh, but it played this way earlier. Like Buffalo looked like they were in a game with Atlanta. It looked like Josh Allen was a jugs machine that was broken in setting of 11, just firing at everybody in that end zone possession there. Um, where they ended up getting a penalty and got a touchdown a little bit later. They pulled that game out. Not a big deal. Tampa actually was just straight up losing to the Jets. That that wasn't fluky. It wasn't a bunch of weird turnover short fields. They were just losing to the Jets in this game. And then Brady has an incredible run. We'll get to Antonio Brown's retirement match a little bit later. Rams-Ravens, same deal. Another pick six for Stafford. I think that's four in the year. He continues to turn the ball over. But I also think the more backups are exposed, and then we start to learn like why guys are backups with the Ravens, where it looks like even just, look, this isn't even a specific to Baltimore. There's just a lot of backups backups that have a week or two where everybody gets really excited and the longer they're around they get exposed a little bit more and then Indy in Las Vegas the way the Colts have played you're like wait is this a team like are they going to lose they ended up losing to them Kansas City and Cincinnati though um is is a different story okay Uh, my headline is this is that Tennessee is the number one seed today in the AFC right with Kansas City losing that game I would take I think five teams in the AFC over Tennessee and we're going to run through that a little bit uh, two of those teams are Kansas City and Cincinnati. Now, I'm not really worried about Kansas City. They're better defensively than they were when they were absolutely atrocious historically to start the season. Um, offensively, they're not off the charts like they were in 2018, but they still convert third downs at over 
which is the best I think I've seen in 10 years since the Saints were over 50%. I think Kansas City this year is the only team over 50% conversion rate on third downs that we've had in a decade. All right, so they're still doing some things right. And when they have their three guys, it's fine. It's weird that they were up 28-17 on the road uh, at the half of Cincinnati and only scored three points in the second half. That part of it's weird, but it really was uh, a Kansas City defense, again, that's been better just getting torched by Jamar Chase and Burrow, which is what these guys do. Burrow has 15 touchdowns at 30 or more yards uh, on the season, which is almost double the number two guy. And Brady only has eight. Um, so Burrow leads the league in yards per attempt. Um, that number's really good. He's going to throw some picks, but I'd say collectively this year, you've had a lot of the guys throwing a lot of picks other than Rodgers and actually Kyler Murray. Cousins hasn't had a ton of picks. Wentz actually hasn't either. But like some of the other name guys that we always expect, there's a lot of double-digit guys when you start sorting through the interceptions. Um, and then the other part of Burrow, as much as I love it, I'm scared to death. He's somebody who I care about now, and then I'm worried about every single week. I mean, you know, the, the sneaky part of this game is he's getting his ass kicked again, which is partially his fault. He has a little wince in him, um, but he's been hit more now of anyone qualifying with 600 dropbacks or more over the last two seasons. He gets hit more than anybody. He's hit. He's been sacked more this season than anyone, and then he was, I think, tied for ninth last year despite playing only 10 games and getting his knee blown out, and then he comes right back. He's fine, but he got hit at the end of this game where they had to bring in a backup when they were trying to figure out whether or not to go for it or kick a field goal, and Zach Taylor wanted to go for it. I actually, in the moment, was like, just kick the field goal, but then it ended up working out. They got the penalty, and they kicked the field goal anyway to go ahead and win this game when they were actually going to go for a touchdown tied up at 28. So I like Cincinnati, and I still like Kansas City, and I like both of those teams better than Tennessee. I like Buffalo better than Tennessee. I like New England better than Tennessee. I can make an argument probably even for the Colts and Chargers. Now, with Tennessee, we know one thing, and that's Derrick Henry. And there's still this teasing that he was going to come back in December. I was reading yesterday before kickoff as he was ruled out of Week 17 that there's still a chance he could do some Week 18 stuff. Uh, but if it's not week, e week 18, it's going to be playoffs. I don't really know what to believe. We know that Tennessee, I think the Tannehill thing that we all struggled with for years being like, wait, is this guy really this good? Because statistically, you sort him and he is up there with some of the best, some of the EPA stuff, um, some of the scoring drive stuff, just some of the numbers. And you're like, is that really who he is? And it's like, no, he isn't. He isn't. I mean, that's why we care so much about Brady and Rodgers. And we talk about these guys nonstop peak Russell Wilson, which has not been the case for the last 25 games or so. I think even Deshaun Watson with what he did with Houston. I mean, there's there's a handful of guys, and obviously peak Mahomes to throw him in there too, that you can find ways to do things when you don't have the pieces around you. In Tannehill, I think we learned this year, which is what we always kind of thought deep down is, yeah, the numbers are nice, but can you carry a team? And yet through the injuries to A.J. Brown, because it's a lot like with Arizona and uh, Hopkins, where they're two completely different teams with and without him. I think it's the same thing with the Titans with A.J. Brown, and now he comes back, and Tennessee beats a Miami team that had won seven straight. Can we just do a quick Miami thing, by the way? I, this is, really is unprecedented. Miami's winning streak stops at seven games. They faced these quarterbacks in those seven wins. New Orleans' Ian Book, the Jets' Zach Wilson, the Giants' Mike Glennon, Carolina' Cam Newton, and P.J. Walker. The Jets, again, Joe Flacco. Baltimore, they did beat Lamar. And then Houston with Tyrod Taylor. So, yes, like Tannehill, there's ways you can sort Tua's stuff and go, look, Tua's turned things around. I still have a hopeful mind when it comes to Tua. But as tough as the NFL is, which it is to win seven games, you know, we just talked about the the Chiefs putting together their win streak. That's an unprecedented run of horrible quarterbacks. So I'm not, I'm trying not to do a, 
well, Tennessee beat an awful Miami team that actually won seven games straight. Because if you're awful, you're not going to win seven games straight. That's that's just a crazy bad stretch of opposing quarterbacks. So yeah, I'm just not on Tennessee. They are eight and two to start. They're three and three since their wins are Jacksonville, San Francisco, and a Miami team that again had a weird winning streak. So I don't think it's actually crazy to like Cincinnati better. And maybe this podcast has been way too faithful to Cincinnati. I think there's been um, some of that faith being rewarded. Remember a few weeks back, I was like, man, they're the one seed, then they get blown out by the Browns. And that's what happens. I mean, we can go through every one of these teams and kind of, you know, it's like that weird summer where you have braces and you have acne. And you're like, remember when Saruti was just hideous there in, in 2004? You know, like every one of these NFL teams has kind of like a weird summer stretch. Uh, again, not in the summer, but a couple of weeks, you're like, what the hell's wrong with them? And I just feel like Tennessee, statistically, profile wise, they're like, my eye test is backed up by statistically where they're at. If you look at who they are defensively, um, other than the Chargers, if you look at the weighted defensive stuff, they're worse than all of the teams in the AFC other than the Chargers, who statistically are just terrible except for Herbert. Um, opposing yards per play, Kansas City is the worst. And then, you know, there's a couple other teams that are actually worse than Tennessee on this one. And then you look at some of the offensive metrics and and Tennessee is just behind all of these other teams. And I'm talking like six other teams. Their point differential is sixth in the AFC. They are way behind four other teams there. So they get Henry back. I'm open to it. But I think the Henry stuff has been really weird and kind of how vague and uncertain, which maybe is part of the week-to-week matchup part of it. But it's just this, it's just crazy when you look at the seeding and you look at the AFC and you go, man, Tennessee's ahead of all these other teams. And I know I can go at least four, maybe five deep of teams I like better. I do want to touch on Arizona's win. Uh, at Dallas, trying to right the ship here for uh, an Arizona team that had a bunch of headlines that weren't great the last couple of weeks. I, again, you know, Hopkins not being there, like Brown, same deal with the Titans. Uh, Kyler clearly hurt, but I thought he looked better now this week uh, with the way they ran, and especially to close out this game, just getting designed runs for Kyler because they couldn't run the football with just straight handoffs in the typical fashion, giving it to your running back. And I still feel like Arizona had a hard time getting the, pushing the ball down the field. Hell, Dallas did too, which was kind of weird. Like they had everybody back offensively, even though they lose Gallup uh, in this game to ACL tear, which is bad news. But when this game kicked off, you're like, all right, Dallas is ready to go. They got other guys. They score a ton of points at home. And Arizona was just a better team throughout. Now, there's just stuff with Arizona, though. And I don't know whose fault it is. I know. Look, if you don't like Cliff because you didn't like the hire in the first place, then you're still going to blame him for everything. I like Cliff. I don't think he's nearly to blame for for all the stuff that happens as much as everybody else does. I think some of these Texas Tech stuff that we've already been over all this stuff. You might be right. I might be wrong. I don't know. All right. But they have the most false starts in the NFL. Tied with Detroit with 26. League average is 16 at this point. If you look at that game, that, that game was like, I don't know how you can keep fucking it up that bad. They had a goal line situation where they actually false started, and Dallas had called a timeout, so they got away with it. They had another false start where they ended up punting a fourth and 28 and gave Dallas great field position. Uh, they had another time where at the goal line where they false started, and it backed them up again and wiped out something they were trying to do. And then as they were so mad about all the different false starts, and Kingsbury even told the sideline reporter, like, we got to clean that up. First play and second half false start. <laughs> so... Arizona, with their limitations, like a lot of teams, you know, they just got their center back and not having their number one target. And then it looked like one of the running backs was pretty dinged up towards the end of the game. Like a lot of teams dealing with adversity just based on roster availability, they shoot themselves in the foot as well. And unless they clean that up, like that's going to, that could have haunted them yesterday in a game that they looked like they were the better team of the two. All right. 
I don't know how much to do on Joe Judge. The Giants completed four passes yesterday. I wish the Giants were blacked out in all markets. I hate I hate even having them in the mix on a red zone channel. Like when they come up with that, it's awful. And then Joe Judge did stuff. I just don't know how anybody does this stuff anymore. Um, he kind of went crazy and said a bunch of different things. How like Giants players are saying they wish they could come back and all this stuff. And the w- the weirdest thing that he did was like, hey, I was with this team in 2018. We're like, dude, it wasn't the olden days. All right. This isn't 1883. We know you were with the Pats. And he was like, you know, a lot of us thought we were going to get fired. You're like, wait, no, they, no, you didn't. He's like, we turned it around and won a championship. But like, nobody, what? Like, nobody thought you guys, what are you talking about? And of course, he's just been getting destroyed the whole time through, which sounded a lot like a guy who either the New York thing got to him because it's obsessive and has to be, you have to be built different, right? Built different to deal with that as a head coach. But it just was an absurd position or an argument to try to make, but it was very clear like a guy was going, I'm going to go out there and sell myself to this market and to ownership again and try to come back one more year. Um, He did not do a good job of doing that. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. I want to talk a little bit about the opt-out stuff. Uh, There's really not much with the playoff games. Um, I thought going back to, you know, the Bama-Cincinnati thing, you know, I didn't really think Cincinnati was going to win that game. And it doesn't speak of the group of five because other power five teams that were awesome or we thought were awesome have been destroyed. The playoff point differential stuff in the playoff system versus regular season, like if you went top five matchups, I think Matt Brown of The Athletic had this tweet over the weekend. If you look at the point differential on top five matchups in the playoffs versus top five matchups just in the regular season, it, it's it's just way worse in the playoffs. And I don't know if that's a trend. You know, I just don't know that we do enough of going. You realize like Bama is still 10 plus years of the greatest run we've ever seen in the history of this game. And if it weren't for Bama, we would have been talking about this Clemson run prior to this year as one of the all time great, not the greatest, but one of the great runs. So we've had two of these historic runs coincide at the exact same time where Clemson sort of invited the second half of the Bama thing. And that's why I think we're getting some of these lopsided scores. And, um, you know, Michigan. The thing they do best was the thing that Georgia defends the best. I didn't think it was going to be that one-sided. We were trying to kind of talk ourselves into some kind of Michigan outcome where it was competitive, but it wasn't. So both weren't. We could just go in circles about the SEC and everybody else. I think I've said literally everything I could possibly say about it at this point. Um, And if you don't agree with me now, you're never going to agree with me. And it doesn't mean that I'm right because the depth of the SEC, again, do we go just by the bowl records? I don't know. It's almost like sometimes I'll think, like, do they have to win 14 games? And have all the teams now, but their start to the bowl season wasn't very good. And they're going to end up with, uh, depending on what happens with LSU and the extra game, which I always hate that there's that extra game that happens after everything happens. We're like, hey, let's just throw another Tuesday one in there. Um, but LSU and Kansas State uh, going into tomorrow. So there's just not much. I, I don't know. I don't think there's a ton there. Um, and as I meant to say is, yeah, like that's not a, a group of five knock really on Cincinnati because we've had other top five blue blood schools 
get housed, especially in that first weekend of the playoff. But I want to talk more about the opt-outs because this is a big topic uh, over the weekend. We had the opt-outs of two of the receivers for Ohio State, Alave and Garrett Wilson. Um, and Ohio State still put up ridiculous numbers with Njigba Smith, who's terrific, and both these other receivers said, hey, he's the best guy. It's tough for Utah because they lost their quarterback late, but it felt like that game was shifting where you, Ohio State was still going to win it. They'd made a couple mistakes. They had a fumble going in. They had, I think, two picks in the end zone. So um, I think the right team won the Rose Bowl there. Um, and because it's the Rose Bowl, and I remember being at ESPN when we would talk about like different deals and different, not like I was being involved in the conversation, but it'd be explained to me like, hey, you know, one of the biggest reasons why we buy up all these bowl games is you have to watch them live. The audience is live and there's like a Rose Bowl branding where the Rose Bowl itself, the branding of it is far more valuable by going out and asking people like, hey, you know, I mean, this is crazy shit that happens because we're so in it. We may not realize this, but you just be like, you know, hey, let's survey. Let's test people like, okay. Which game is the most important game? You're like, oh, you know what I love is the one with the parade in Pasadena. Yeah, the Rose Bowl, the Rose Bowl. And that's why the Rose Bowl has all this power, because it's probably the most identifiable brand in the entire bowl system, even if it's out of the college football playoff rotation in the national championship, right? So um, the opting out part of this, you know, Matt Corral played in the Ole Miss game, gets the high ankle sprain, comes out, and everybody's like, hey, you should opt out. It's one of those things, another one of those arguments that almost feels political in the extremes of both sides. Now, because I'm in it every single day, which isn't a bad job, but I'm just in it all the time. Like I kind of joke around with some of my friends. They'll bring up a topic every now and then. I'll be like, yeah, that was a big deal 10 days ago. All right. Um, I can find arguments at the extremes where I can disagree with them if I want to. And then sometimes I'll see it enough where I decide, okay, this is, this is what my position is going to be. This is what the segment's going to be. Right here, here we go. Uh, this is one of those conversations where the arguments, the extreme, I want nothing to do with. I would opt out of the opt out argument in this. So let's examine some of the stuff that happened this weekend. We had Desmond Howard on set with Kirk Herbstreet. I don't know if Pollock was part of both of them, but you got three older school guys. All right. An older generation of guys. And you can even take it another further step further and be like, all right, they're rich. And then they work for ESPN and ESPN's complicit in all this stuff. Again, as somebody who worked at ESPN for like 15 years. I have no reason. Like, I'm likely never working there again, right? So I I don't have any reason to defend any, like, if I wanted to be, but I, I, I'm not going to be, like, wrong to make a point at some place that I don't work at anymore. Because guys are out there representing college game day and their job as a college football analyst, just because ESPN has 40-plus bowls here and they want more and more bowls, it doesn't mean that it's, like, Desmond Howard's fault. So if he says, hey, the Bulls, these young kids don't think the Bulls are as important, and then there's other media members that do some sort of victory lap, like Desmond Howard is the reason that ESPN has a bunch of Bulls. It's just fucking stupid, all right? It's, it's not even fair to those guys that are up there. Um, now, as I point out some of the stuff that they'd say that I'd kind of agree with, like I don't think it's the worst thing if a bunch of guys are like, you know what? I actually don't want to opt out of the Bull. I want to be there for my teammates and finish what we started. I think that's okay. I think we can be... Um, we can allow ourselves to say, hey, that's an admirable thing. But what I wouldn't do is be somebody that every time some kid opts out, tell them that they're wrong. I'm fine with it. It doesn't bother me at all. It's a new world, okay? We evolve a lot quicker than we think on stuff like this, all right? The transfer rule, I remember just thinking it was okay to have somebody sit out a year. They're like, yeah, you know, you can't just have guys transferring all the time because then you're re-recruiting your entire roster. Okay, well, that's what the money's for, right? I'm sorry. Oh, you have to re-recruit your own roster? Well, guess what? Your salaries have quadrupled in 10 years. So figure out a way to keep some of your guys happy. And guess what? Some of them are still going to get picked off no matter what. 
I guess you could be worse at recruiting, so there'd be less competition on your roster. But I'm okay with that struggle for the coaches making this much money, having to re-recruit their own guys. So I don't care about the transfer stuff anymore, right? The graduate transfer thing, no, it's a free-for-all with the quarterbacks because the kids are on campus the entire time taking extra classes. So even though it seemed cool, hey, we'll get these kids to graduate, like, yeah, but now they could just bail on you at the end and take a one-year run with another team that's positioned a little bit better than you are. And the coach is like, oh, wait, that sort of backfired. Um you know, it's always been a messed up system and people are realizing it's a messed up system more and more the entire time. But I want to ask you something for, for those of you that are all about the opt outs for everybody all the time. And again, I'm telling you, I don't care if kids opt out. Good for them. But I don't think it's terrible for a bunch of guys that played the sport to say, hey, I don't love all of these opt outs. That's how they feel. They're not doing that because of a business relationship because of the Bulls. All right. I know all three of those guys couple of them pretty well, and they just love the idea of college football. And like I said, they're from a different generation. I remember growing up when guys would leave after their sophomore year in college basketball, we were like, oh, those guys, what's wrong with them? I mean, I was a little kid. Like, oh, I can't believe Walter Berry's going to leave this soon. You know, what's you think? And then you avoid, then they keep the more and more, when Stephon Marbury got to Georgia Tech, I remember like, wait, this guy's, he's saying he's going to leave after a year? Who's this guy think he is? And then guess what? More and more people do it. They're successful. It works. And, and then we're kind of fine with it, right? And like anybody that's super anti-opt-out, the more it happens, the more you're going to be like, yeah, I can kind of get it. And that's where I am right now. I mean, Zion Williamson, which is really ironic because when he got hurt at Duke and then he came back to play, there was a lot of people, not a few people, a lot of people being like, why would this guy come back? Why would he go and play at Duke again? This is stupid. He's, he's going to be the number one pick. And then he was just like, hey, I want to play UNC and beat him. And then we have a chance to win a championship and maybe go to the Final Four. I'd like to do those things. That's why I came to do. It actually was one of the first reasons why I fell in love with Zion, not just his game because of his personality, which is weird because it feels like a complete 180 now, who he is as a professional because this doesn't like he wants to play at all. Um, but at that time, there was an argument like, what's he thinking? I'm like, hey, what he's thinking is this is fun and he wants to keep doing it. And he's probably not going to do anything that actually jeopardizes his number one overall, you know, number one pick standing. All right. And he didn't. It didn't matter. Um, and last year, he was terrific last year. And that's the other thing is that even if somebody's a quarterback is going to get hurt, what's the likelihood that you get the kind of injury? And by the way, you're also insured. What's what's the chance that you're going to get some kind of injury that all of a sudden you go from a top 10 pick to like a third rounder? It's not even really going to happen. Now, I'd ask you this question, though. If you are anarchist, opt out across the board, anyone that thinks opting out is bad, is the devil. What if Bryce Young was like, you know what, NIL, I pocketed like two mil. We won an SEC title. This playoff thing, like, I don't know. It's like in three weeks. I got, I got workouts. And that'd be if Bryce Young, again, is not eligible for the draft this year because we still have the older rules of the NFL than we do with the NBA. What if Bryce Young were eligible for the draft? Is going to be the number one pick in 2022. What if he, and again, not being paid by the NCAA, which I don't know when that's going to happen, but the NIL part of it where he's banked some serious money, what if he was like, yeah, I don't want to do this. Is that cool? Because it doesn't feel cool. But I can, I can guarantee you if I went through my friends in this business, I'd be like, well, this person would think it was cool. This person would love it. This person would love it. And I'd ask you if you, you were like all about the opt-outs, if you'd be like, all right, that's a good one. Van Lathan, who's my guy here at the ringer? I know he loves the opt-outs. What if Joe Burrow two years ago was like, you know what? You got this LSU thing turned around. 
won an SEC title game, but I'd really like to go out to Arizona, do a bunch of box jumps for the next couple months, work on my 40 speed, you know, massage my hand, get that hand size out. I'm not going to play against Oklahoma. And then, you know, I, I don't want to play in the playoff. I don't think Van Latham would like that. I think he would have, I think that would be an opt out. He'd go, ah, because he's a Baton Rouge guy. I don't, I, I think I know him well enough to go, okay, this opt out is a little more challenging for me to accept. It's going to happen. It's going to happen at some point. And that's why a lot of times with this, it's not all or nothing. And I think the opting out argument is another example of that. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Always great to check in on a Monday with Trent Dilfer. Been doing it throughout the entire season. A lot of stuff that we'll always uh, get to, a little story time as well. Packers put it on Minnesota last night. Uh, not surprising. By the way, before we get to the Rodgers part of it, I don't know if you saw Mike Zimmer in the, the presser today. They were like, hey, do you want to see Kellen Mond? He's like, not particularly. <laughs> Somebody has a follow-up and goes, is there, wait, like, is there any reason you wouldn't want to maybe see him? And he's like, I see him every day. I cannot imagine how frustrating it is to be on the team side, whether it was you as a player or as a coach, and to hear all of us be like, how come this guy can't get a look when literally all you're doing is watching them throughout the entire week, going back, reviewing the practice film and seeing it all. Now, I do think there's maybe some, you know, the red light guys when it's real that maybe they're a different guy every now and then. But I just thought that was a perfect, just it, it encapsulated the disconnect and the frustration of like, and I've never been a big, big Kellen Mond guy to be, begin with, but just Zimmer's like, no, why Why do I need to see him in that game when I see him now for months every day? Like, why would I need to do that? And people were like, wait, was that an amazing answer? Well, there's so much, too, that goes on uh, outside of just throwing a football in practice. You're right. You, you watch the kid. You watch your entire team every day, all day. Um but there's the other stuff too, the being the pro stuff. There's the studying, there's the meeting time, there's the understanding of the playbook, game plans, how they're handling walkthrough. I mean, you're you're seeing all this. And if you're not giving a kid a chance, it's because that that kid's not ready based on how he's handled not just practice, but all the other stuff that goes into the job. All right. So let's talk Rogers. He's off the charts here statistically, um, 35 touchdowns, four picks in a season where guys, you know, as I said in the open, starting to throw more picks. Number one in QBR, number one in QB rating. Um, the completion percentage, he's at, I don't know. I mean, look, all the stats are nuts. And the Packers are maybe the best team in the NFL. Is there even an MVP conversation at this point? There is. And he's playing hurt. I, I think what's interesting about this, and... um. 
It's going to be interesting. I mean, he there, there's really no second place, right? I mean, who else would you vote for uh, in the MVP? Uh, and if you don't vote for Aaron Rodgers, is it because you don't agree with some stance he took earlier in the year? Like you don't like his personality. You don't like how he handled the vaccine thing. Like I just think it's going to be really interesting because it should be pretty unanimous. I, I can't really see another candidate um, that takes a lot of votes away. So I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. I'm going to be, I'm going to be interested in seeing who doesn't vote for him and what the reasons for not voting for him are. Yeah. I think, you know, at one point it felt like Lamar was the guy cause he was carrying Baltimore, hadn't played enough games and Baltimore falling apart has more to do with not having him. And then all the injuries catching up to him. I thought Kyler had a chance there. Yeah. Um, I think Brady was in the mix. There was a push for Jonathan Taylor, but as the Jonathan Taylor push was happening, and by the way, he's 500 yards ahead of Joe Mixon, who's in second place. So, you know, Taylor's at 1,700. There's been almost, I don't, you're right. I don't feel like, wait, does Rodgers, like when the Taylor push started happening, I don't remember anybody being like, are we nuts? Are we not doing the Aaron Rodgers thing here? And you're right. Like, look, he he fell all over himself in some of these COVID arguments. Yeah. I would, I hated this stuff from the summer because it's just like, look, Rogers, this is a good team. You're you're acting like you're Deshaun Watson down in Houston. So I didn't agree with him there. But if you have a vote at this point with a week to go, I don't know who else you're voting for. And some guys are definitely not going to vote for him. Well, that that's what I think is interesting. Like I, John Taylor, awesome player, great season, awesome. I mean, it's it's nice. Uh, Brady, obviously, every year you can you know mention Brady in the MVP uh race the the lamar thing yeah when he was carrying that much water kyler murray's fantastic how he ended the game this year against against the cowboys i mean they're all really really great players having really fine seasons but they're here compared to way up here where aaron Rodgers is playing considering the circumstances as well uh he's carrying that team uh when they have four offensive line starters missing again i mean it's it's him and Devonte adams in a really nice run game they piece together that kind of falls off of the passing game and um, they're dominating. It's going to go through green Bay again. And I just think the interesting part of the conversation is what you said. You didn't like how he handled some stuff. I didn't like how he handled some, some stuff. Some people, it's not just, they don't like it. They won't like him. Like they're so emotionally attached to what they don't like about Aaron, that they're not going to vote for him as the most valuable player in the NFL. I just think that's a very, it's going to be really interesting to see who those people are. Um, that they can't detach their personal feelings about something uh, from what their job is, which is to vote on who is the best player in the National Football League. Yeah, that's I now I can't wait. Now I can't wait to see how that vote comes out because yeah. you know I think if you have a vote, you're voting for the most valuable player of the NFL, and that's right? that's what you're voting for, and it really I mean, shouldn't be anything else. Yeah. Uh, have you ever had anything like Antonio Brown happen? No, and I, 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 I'm sad for Antonio Brown. I mean, listen, I when it happened, I was like, "What? What?" I'm like everybody else, um, and I get the whole people. Some people are outraged, quitting on your team, you know, I, and I get all that. I mean, as a coach and as a player for so many years, there's so much of this team stuff, and you buy into something bigger than yourself, and you sacrifice and. I love all that stuff, but when somebody goes off the rails like he has repeatedly, there's something really wrong, and and I feel bad for the guy. I mean, I, he needs some serious help, um, and that's 
and that's where I land on this thing. And and just looking at this thing from 30,000 feet after the two years that all of us have been through, there's some people that are just hurting in ways that you just can't comprehend. And you see it come out in the oddest ways. And we're seeing it come out in Antonio Brown that way. And, and I, I'm beyond mad or frustrated. I, I'm more sad than anything else. And, and, and this kid needs some serious help. I know I hadn't, I don't even think I put this in the notes, but you would touch on it a second there with the way Kyler closed that game against Dallas. I've been watching for him, like for two specific things without Hopkins. I think he's really hesitant to push the football. You know, he had one where he was a little off with Green on a completion. He had another one to Green where, you know, look, A.J. Green's had an amazing career. Felt like A.J., you know, didn't make enough of a play on the football. And then I also think Kyler dealing with this ankle thing has been limited as a run option to scare you. Yeah. And then it felt like Kingsbury and that group were like, look, we can't run the football. He looks a little hesitant. We're up. We can't blow this. Like, we got to get a little creative here. What did you think of the way they closed that game against Dallas where it looked like things were turning against him? I was brilliant. I, I thought they, I can't remember who was doing the, the game. Who's now Troy? Troy, yeah, Troy. slipping back and forth from a lot of different games. And um, yeah, I think Troy mentioned it like, what a heck of a coaching job to kind of scratch together a little run game here at the end when we got to close it off. I think they had a little option play. Uh, they, I think they tried the option play a couple times. They went to the zone read a couple times, but they kind of, it's almost like they drew it up in the dirt. Um, on the sidelines. Uh, it was impressive. Now, equally disappointing for the Cowboys defense. I mean, we, you can't stop those. They had numbers, by the way. It wasn't like they didn't have numbers. Um, there is, they're caving in too much in, 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 in the A and B gaps and giving away the edges. Um, but yeah, I, I, he's such a unique competitor. And I think Cliff gets it. You know, you, you got to let a competitor like that that has a unique skill set regardless of circumstance, whether he's banged up, whether he's playing well, whatever the circumstances are, you got to put the ball in his hands. I mean, he's a true guy that it's got to be in, in his hands, run, pass, create in critical moments. And uh, that's what they did with them. And it, it worked. They closed that deal. It was, it was pretty impressive. Let's talk a little Joe Burrow. Uh, I, <laughs> I love the guy, you know, when you, when you try to figure out, okay, how's it really going to look on Sunday? that it factor stuff that we're always trying to define ahead of time. And it feels almost an impossible exercise. Uh, whatever that is, he has it, the combination with he and chase, but I, I'm scared to death that he has a little wince in him where he's, he still hasn't, even with the knee injury last year, Trent, I mean, look, he got knocked out of this game too. And it kind of gets lost because they beat the chiefs at home in a huge spot for them in the playoffs part of it, but put the whole package together of what you're seeing. And then, you know, maybe speak a little bit to my, that I'm just I'm actually a little worried about his approach and how they protect him too. Cause he gets his ass kicked every week is my other point. He does. I, all right. I'll start with just the, the player DNA. Uh, and I felt this way coming out. He was a really hard study. Um, he is. And, and some people are going to take this the wrong way. Cause idiots take things the wrong way. He's talented, but he's not uber talented. He, he does nothing physically. That is wow. Just to me, have me interrupt you, would you say like Herbert versus Burrow physically is not, not even a comparison? Even close. It's not even a conversation. I, Herbert is exponentially, um, when I say, I don't even always use talent because to me, idiots will take that the wrong tech. Well, I'll say horsepower. Herbert has way more horsepower. Um, 
But I love Burrow's true talent. His true talent is, yeah, he's a good athlete. He's really accurate. He's got nice delivery. He's got a good arm. Sees it great. But it's all the other stuff that goes with that. Toughness, leadership, moxie, charisma, um, command. I'll just start making up terms, right? And and you start layering, layering all those other things on a good, solid, talented player. And now you're like, that's the wow. The wow is the sum of the parts. It's it's all of it together. Um, part of the wow of Joe Burrow that makes him so good, all these things, is his toughness. Um, and you saw it at LSU, too. Now, they protected him pretty well, but he would hold on to that sucker to the very last second and then take it in the chin. The year before the Heisman, we didn't play very well. I admired that most about his game was how tough he was and his and his moxie and his command and like he, the dude factor right we call it dqs dude qualities like he just has those dqs um wasn't that good the year, be, the, the year before he goes off at lsu but man you admire like you watch him as a quarterback you're like oh that's a dude and he's gonna be okay now we had no idea he was gonna blow up um at least i didn't most of the guys i talked to didn't uh and now you're seeing that in the NFL. And that, that's what I think, that's what I love about him, too. I've grown from liking him a lot to absolutely loving watching him play and how he plays and what he stands for. Now, that toughness piece can get him in trouble. The same thing that makes you laugh, makes you cry in the NFL. Um, he's so dang tough, and he's got such great uh, ability to stand in the last second and, and be accurate down the field and chaotic environments and people are around him. He, he the hits he takes aren't just because uh, you really can't kill the quarterback anymore, but it feels like he gets killed still like guys still fall on him and guys are still around his legs and uh, he, he gets, and maybe this was great. And I'm not watching every quarterback snap in the NFL, but it, every week it seems like he takes the hardest hits or the most awkward hits. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there's just a lot where I'm like, uh-oh, you know, is he going to get up? You know, I'm always, as much NBA as I watch, and these guys at seven-plus feet can they do what they can do, I actually am surprised more of these seven-footers don't get hurt all the time, collapsing right. on each other, feet underneath feet, going up for rebounds. You know, it, it happens way less than you would think it would happen. The reason I bring that up is that Burrow feels like one of these seven-footers, like, oh, is Anthony Davis going to be all right? And there's times where he gets hit and he's kind of like looking out from underneath this pile of limbs and all this stuff. And I go, is he going to be all right? And he was limping halfway through the game yesterday again. And then they had to bring in Allen to even pull off whatever it was they were trying to do at the end. That, was I, awkward. Yeah, that whole thing was awkward. I mean, you kicked the field. Like, you got to kick the field goal there, right? I, until you don't, you win the game. <laughs> yes. Well, they ended up because, you know, they reset the clock and everything yeah. after. I was going crazy. I agree. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think this is the interesting, interesting thing to look for with Burrow as we go on. It might even be as soon as the playoffs. Um, and Tony Dungy kind of mentioned this a little bit last night on the NBC show. Why you are giving him isolation throws uh, consistently is mind-boggling. Um, that's what he does better than anything in his game. Uh, I would put him with the Rodgers and Brady's, the best, the very best in the game now and of all time of uh, being able to 
locate the ball outside the numbers and these isolation throws, these back shoulders, these timing routes, these fade balls. Like he just has this unique ability to locate it um, with the best of the best. But you can take those away. And what I'm getting at is you're going to see them see a lot of zones. You're going to see a lot of just two high shells, not just all cover two, but these two high shells with corners that are going to reroute and try to rough up the receivers with help over the top. And, and Burrow's always been a guy that holds it a little bit. So they're going to take away what he does best, those isolation throws outside. And then, you know, if you look at his DNA, he likes to hold it a little bit. And that's why he gets hit so much is because he'll work deep through a progression. He'll go boundary to boundary. He will, he'll pat the ball and climb the pocket. All these can be good things. Uh, in fact, I think they're really good things until you take, start taking more hits. And, and when he faces a team that can get to him with four uh, and play these two high shells, these loaded zones in the back end and make him hold the ball, he's going to take more hits than the next guy because he's not that. I think why Tom Brady's been so successful for so many years is regardless of coverage, regardless of team, he's going to get the ball out of his hand. He is not going to hold it too long. Uh, and Burrow does not have that yet in his game. He will hold it longer, and and he's going to take more hits because of that. You know, this is a, a bigger point, though, too, is I don't even know 10 years ago I would have cared. Like, I would have just seen Joe Burrow get hurt and and go, I shouldn't say it that way. Um, <laughs> not caring is, is the wrong way, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be as big of a part of the conversation. Like, now we're just so used to guys being protected the entire time. It's like, well, why are you allowing yourself to get hit? Whereas I remember and maybe you'll speak, well, you will speak to this better than I will. The, one of the greatest things about Favre, and I don't know if he was better than everybody in the modern era at this, but he would hold on to the football willingly to take that hit, to get destroyed, knowing that his his receiver, his tight end, needed just that extra beat to get open. Mm -hmm. And instead of forcing the throw, knowing I don't really have a good chance, let me give, you know, third down in the in the red zone, all right, here he comes. Here's that defensive end. He's going to put his helmet right in my chest plate, and I'm going to take it. And we admired all of that stuff because, by the way, Favre also got up every single time. Uh, was Favre the best to ever do it? Would Favre hang in the longest, taking the most punishment, not caring? I guess maybe you'd argue you're second, but I don't know. No, gosh, no. But no, I just think <laughs> I'm going I'm to answer that question. I'm going to take it a little bit of a cool direction, too, with Joe Burrow, I think. Yes, you're absolutely right on far, but I'd put Marino in there. I'd put Kelly in there. I'd put Warren Moon in there. I'd put Aikman in there. Kelly's a great one. I mean, Kelly spent looking at like I feel like he was looking back through his ear hole all the time as they yes. just kept getting first down after first down. I'll give you a weird one. You really had about a five, six year really good stretch that just took him on the chin all the time with Stan Humphreys. Yeah. Um, Joe Burrow, I, I remember in 1994, I get drafted and I go to a some trading card, uh, Donruss or Tops, whatever we got our money from before we signed back then, uh, golf tournament. And it's all the Hall of Famers, right? It's all the gold jackets. They're not in the Hall of Fame yet, but Kelly, Moon, uh, Aikman, Elway, Marino, uh, Favre, all of them. Um, and they're just dudes. Like, they're the best of the best of the best. Um, well, on the field, off the field, Joe Burrow should have played in that era. 
Like he is one of those guys, the way he carries himself, the way he plays the game. It's almost like he grew up watching that generation play. He reminds me so much of Jim Kelly. Uh, people use the Brady analogy and I see it. I mean, I can see, you know, the full field scanning, the, the stoic being stoic in the pocket, the quick delivery. I mean, I, I see that piece too, but man, go back and watch Jim Kelly play and then watch Joe Burrow play. I mean, it's the same guy. Um, Moreno, you know, outside the incredible delivery, same thing you're talking about, right? Like a little skip to the left, a little hop to the right, hold it just for the extra tick, wait for the guy to make the double move on the deep pad, and then just rip it down the field and take this kill shot and have a 300 pound land on you and then get back up kind of laughing and then smoke a cigar in the locker room afterwards. I mean, that that's just who Joe Burrow is. That's why I love him so much because I grew up admiring those guys, playing against them, uh, watching them, getting to know them on and off the field. I mean, he is just a throwback that way. And uh, I, I just so it's so I, I don't feel like I'm explaining this well enough, but he is just he's very unique in modern day football uh, for how he plays the game. And I think that's what you're seeing. And I think that's why getting circling back to the beginning, I think that's why he takes more hits than everybody else. Yeah. And here I am talking about it as if like, oh, this is this bad thing where we would have praised it before. And I think that's just how the quarterback, it's one of the many ways the quarterback conversation has shifted now. We almost think you're an idiot now for taking any of these hits. I think Brady is part of that too. Because as you mentioned, like Brady, Brady, I think, I don't know what the numbers are. I feel like he's gotten knocked around a little bit more this season than he had in the last couple. But for the most part, we understand his whole point. It's like he's going to keep himself cleaner than everybody else. And But, but at this point, it's by necessity, too. Um, he's just been brilliant with it throughout his career, and it's just part of it. But I don't know. I mean, it's amazing. Well, it's DNA. Hey, listen, and I think metrics, this is where the all the cool analytics and metrics and stuff Uh-oh. that comes out every week are really Here good. You know, Brady's been the one of the quickest time to throw guys for the last, I don't know, forever. I mean, back when I had ESPN and, you know, he asked for some critical numbers at the end of a weekend. And um, Brady's time to throw was always in the 2.1, 2.2, like best of the weekend stuff. Burrow's not that guy. Um, there's guys that just aren't, that's not in their DNA. Uh, he's going to be a guy that is going to hold it a little bit longer. I don't know how else to say it. He's going to work a play a little bit more. Uh, might be a function of their offense, too. You know, they might not have a lot of these quick little um, option route, you know, stick route opportunities in between the hashes. They're, they're more of a chunk passing team. Uh, I think Zach Taylor and the coaching staff's done a good job at, an, you know, in a short amount of time of identifying uh, what Joe's DNA is as a passer, too, and, and building an offense around it. So, Again, I don't think there's a right or wrong. Um, I think there's a lot of good ways these days of playing quarterback. Um, you know, but Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady play it very differently than Joe Burrow plays. But those two guys get the ball as fast as they possibly can, and and Burrow's not going to do that. A little different because we're going into week 18, trying to figure it out, still some teams alive. Uh, do you have a good story from chasing it down, which, again, back then would have been week 17, yeah. where you're going like, all right, here's all these different things we need to have happen because it gets, I can't, it must be like, I don't know if it's stressful. I don't know if it's the anxiety part of it, but as you're trying to control and get ready for what's a tough three hours for yourselves on top of that scoreboard, watching everything else. Yeah. And some of it, you just pisses you off too, because you know, you let one slide a few weeks ago that 
you know, if you didn't let that one slide, then you wouldn't be in the situation. I mean, ultimately you can only control what you can control and you can go out and try to win that last game. Where 98, I think, I think I'm going to be right here. 98, I'm with Tampa. We have to go to Cincinnati late in the year. Last game of the year, we beat them. But we lost to the Redskins the week before, which is the game we should have won. So we needed to go to Cincinnati and beat them. And then we needed Arizona, I believe, to lose. I think that's all we needed. There might be more math to this. But what I vividly remember is getting on the plane. And, you know, this is 1998. We don't have Wi-Fi in the planes. <laughs> you don't have little TVs you're watching. You don't have direct TV in your seat. Um, so you're getting updates from the pilots. So we're in the back playing cards like we always did. And knowing that we need Arizona lose, we're getting updates here and there. And then we get kind of the two minute drive where Jake the snake is taking Arizona down a scoring position and oh, okay, we come and we're like, Oh no, he's not going to do it. And he takes him down there and they kick a field goal. I believe to beat whoever they're playing to knock us out of the playoffs. And it's just devastating to be sitting there on the plane. You have the euphoria of winning your final game of the season in Cincinnati playing pretty well within the agony of figuring out that you've been eliminated from the playoffs because another team in the four o'clock slot won a game you needed them to lose. So uh, there's some regrets because as that happens, you're like, man, that penalty against the Redskins. I remember Daryl Green undercut a dig route on me. I threw a pick on in that week 16 game um, that the receiver bled upfield instead of coming downhill. And if the receiver comes downhill, it's an 18 yard completion set of interception. You're, you're, you're playing those things in your head and you're like, man, if that doesn't happen, we're going to the playoffs. And cause it was, it's hard to get the playoffs. Now it's not as hard now, obviously, but it is really hard to get in the playoffs. It's a different style of football. Once you get there, um, you know, it's where it's really where how careers are made by how many times you can get to the playoffs, you make more money. Um, it's harder. You get better contracts. Uh, free agency is better when you go to the playoffs. There's a lot of things that, that are great with making the playoffs. And and when you don't do it because another team did something you needed not to do, it's pretty devastating. Yeah, I'm trying to look this up now, by the way. Um, it was it was 13-13. And the Cardinals kicked a field goal with three seconds left and, and beat the Chargers. So oh, you thanks. were on... You were on the plane. It gets. It looks to like. First of all, um, Arizona was up. Chargers make a late run. Got it. Arizona kicks. Arizona kicks the game when he feels. So that was all happening. No wonder you remember that twenty something years later because you're sitting there thinking like, okay, this kick and the pil- the pilots giving you the updates. Yeah, you know, I'm in back there playing gin with Brad Culpepper as we always did, and you got your group playing Tonk and Spades and and that. You know, that's kind of what you did on plane rides. We had the one o'clock slot, obviously, that weekend, and, and we're on the plane coming back, and they have the four o'clock slot out west, Chargers, San Diego at the time, and Cardinals. And uh, you're totally dependent upon some pilot that I don't even know if he knew who we were, right? He's just like, hey, here you guys are interested in this ball game going on in Arizona or San Diego. And uh, yeah, Char- uh, Cardinals got the ball. Oh, big completion, midfield. I think there's 30 seconds left, and then, oh, wow, okay, ball's down there. It looks like I can kick a field. And that, I'm not saying that specifically how it's yeah. out, but you're getting these vague updates. Now all the card games are over, and you're kind of sitting there, and you're looking at your buddy. And some guys have playoff bonuses, too, that are pretty healthy. Like, I don't remember, I don't think I did, but there's plenty of guys that might have $50,000 playoff bonuses, $100,000 playoff bonuses. Like, this is their living. So they're like, well, he misses the kick. 
I make a hundred grand. He makes the kick. I'm out a hundred grand. Like these are real, and these are real things that happen. And then, oh, he made it. He just everybody. I can remember. I can close my eyes. Remember where I was sitting with Pep, because um, we always sat together playing gin. And I can, I mean, I could go to the plane. He always sat by the window. I always sat by the aisle. We would take the thing down in the middle row, set up blanket over the top just so the cars didn't slide. And I can remember sitting there. I can see the blue blanket on the tray in the middle seat. The cards laying there and me and Pep not playing cards, just listening for this, this uh, pilot's update and then just going, oh, we're not going to the playoffs. Okay, you touch on it for a second then. And, and I, I mean, this may seem like a stupid question, but what is so different about the playoffs, the game planning part of it, the adjustment, you know, the kind of go, I would imagine the, the risk calculations are greater and like, all right, like we're not, we're not saving anything here. How different is that part of the lead up install and then kind of figuring out how to change it, how quickly you'll be willing to abandon things if you don't think things are working? I think there's a lot of elements to it. The biggest thing that in 97, our first year going, so I'd played three years, we had sucked. And then fourth year we get in was you're so tired at the end of an NFL season. You're so beat up. You're just mentally, physically, emotionally done. And all of a sudden you go to the playoffs and everybody's perfect. Like There's just this, this breath of energy and enthusiasm and life that goes into your team. And all of a sudden all the boo-boos go away. And, you know, something that you might have missed two games with an MCL or something, ah, it doesn't hurt that bad anymore. Um, I mean, everybody's just on a different uh level I, I there's a there's more urgency to everything um coaches are oh they're so wound tight i think for the reasons you said because um they can't be wrong there's no margin for error uh so just a lot of a lot of heightened awareness uh, i think game wise that the biggest differences are you get secondaries that are way more physical um, less flags are thrown typically, um, just more, more funny business going on in the game that isn't regulated as much, at least back in our, in our era. Again, this is so many years ago, uh, but they definitely let you get away with more, uh, in the playoffs and, uh, it makes offensive football a little bit harder. That's why defensive football travels. You know what I mean? It's always been, I get it. I love offense. And I love how some of these teams can kind of offensively get it going and dictate terms. But at the end of the day, the team that's most physical on defense and can run the football and do the boring old school things the best are the ones that are successful because of how playoff football uh, is formatted. Now, less so in today's football, but it's for sure in the 90s and early 2000s, it was a, it was a different season and, and called differently as well. Trent, before we leave here, and something I touched on in one of the opens uh, before we had you on, the opt-outs yeah. going on in college football. I'm I'm fine with it, but I can also understand in certain cases where you'd be like, oh, man. And I also understand the old school part of it. It's like, you know, I want to be there for my teammates or I expect my teammate to be there for me. But we know that the college, the student-athlete deal has been exposed for what it always was, and it was kind of a, 
an exploitive deal here. So not kind of, it is. Um, But at the same time, like, you know, I I also don't think it's a horrible deal for everybody that's a student athlete either. So I don't know. I'm just kind of, I know you're more of an old school guy, but you work with so many of these quarterbacks and becoming the top recruits at all these colleges and top draft picks. How do you see it now in 2022? I see it like you do. I, it came up in our house, uh, whatever, what day did Herbie make the comments that he got, came on this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Cool. they all I've watched so much dang football <laughs> vacation. They all run together. Um, it came up in our house and, you know, three daughters that are athletes. Wife was a college athlete. Like, ah, you can't opt out. Like, no, how do you give up on your team? I'm like, well, well, wait a second here. Like, yeah, you can. I, these guys, th- there are certain cases where the their future career earnings trump being there for your team. Like there is a true risk calculation here. Um, and I think the the voice that isn't being talked about here is their, their teammates. I think their teammates actually support them. Like who cares what we think? Like that, that's what, I, that's where my argument went was, I don't really care what you think, Kirby. I love you. You're my friend. You're one of the greatest TV personalities of all time. I don't care what you think. Ryan, I don't care what you think. Yeah. I don't think you should care what I think. I think what matters is their teammates. What do they think? Like, we're all talking about, we're assuming certain things about their team. Well, what if their team's the one saying, bro, you are crazy to play in this game. Like, if I was you, go be picket and go stand up, go be in the press box and help the OC call the game. Like, you know, we don't think you're giving up on us. Like, we're in this for you. Like, we want to see you be the first pick of the draft. We want you to make $50 million. I don't I don't think the Desmond Howard Kirk thing was as sinister as people try to make it out no. to be. I think it's two Big Ten guys, a Michigan and an Ohio State guy, talking about the Rose Bowl. Yes. Going, you know, it is a little weird that this generation doesn't care about the Rose Bowl because that's an impossibility for their generation, your generation, again, mine as a fan, but that's also what's happened as we've just looked at, like, look, I remember when some of the Oregon players like, oh, the Rose Bowl again, because they weren't playing for a national championship, or now if you're not in the playoff, I mean, that just happens, which sucks, and I think that that had more to do with it other than people trying to make it out to be this business incentivized, like, duplicitous, oh, look at the voices and faces of ESPN, you know, admonishing these kids. I think they're just a couple Big Ten OGs that are like, you guys don't want to play in the Rose Bowl? I I totally agree. And when they said that, I wasn't offended by anything. I think there are some kids in general that don't love football as much. In general. Right? I don't think Herbie was saying that about everybody. And I agree with you. It was about, they couldn't comprehend because the Rose Bowl in our generation was it's why it's called the granddaddy of them all, right? Like it's, you just, you couldn't imagine not wanting to go to the Rose Bowl. I mean, I, I guess I, there's going to be younger people listening to this be like, what's wrong with you guys? Be like, you don't get it. Like old people, that's what they, like growing up, I had grandparents or aunt, great aunts, great uncles who didn't talk about football all season long. You know what football we talked about? Who, who talked about? We talked about Holy Cross in my my family. All right, you know it was my grandfather and then my father, and we go to Holy. That was my New England football religion was Holy Cross football. So the Rose, just like you said, like 
hey, what are you doing? Oh, let's go next door to the neighbors. Or let's. It was we're watching the Rose Bowl parade, and then we're watching the Rose Bowl. And again, because back then we didn't even have a BCS title game, so you still you didn't feel like you were left out. And I think because they're in Pasadena doing that show, I guess. Look, maybe I'm biased because I know the characters, but I actually think I'm more informed because, like you, I know the characters. I didn't take it as a "we are big, nasty corporation, ESPN, fuck these kids for ruining our product." Yeah. I really thought it had more to do with just a generational football approach and that game in particular, even though there were other opt outs that they were talking about. I totally agree. I so. I don't go down the Twitter hole very often. I mean, almost never. That night I did just because I was so <laughs> sure. Right. I was so um, curious why it became such a thing uh, all of a sudden. I mean, and then Kurt's doing the game and he's doing an apology on Twitter while he's calling the game. And I'm like, how did this get here? Like, and I think where I stand on it is both. I, both can be right here. Like you can, you can be right on saying, no, you stick with your team, Matt Corral. Like I loved how he handled that. He's like, I wouldn't be here without them. So I wanted to be here for them. Basically his message, right? I think that's awesome. And I thought Kenny Pickett was awesome. And I thought some of the other dis- guy, dis- the, some of the other decisions that were made, Walker for Michigan State, he shouldn't have played in that game, right? He's a running back. He doesn't need the extra 35 hits. No chance. Right. None. I mean, Kenny Walker, like, if I were a friend, I'd be like, you're not playing in this game. Yeah. And I bet you Mel Tucker said that. And I don't think that's wrong either. Like, I I think both sides can be right here. I just couldn't believe how visceral it got based on some comments that, again, and we're not, I don't work for ESPN, right? I've known Desmond and Herbie forever. I think they're amazing guys. They're incredible on TV. They were doing that for pro ESPN reasons that, that was just like you said, it was kind of the, they can't process. I can't process not wanting to play in the Rose bowl because our paradigm is us crotchy old farts. Right. Like you, we grew up going, Oh my gosh, if I could play in a Rose bowl, that'd be one of the greatest experiences of my life. I mean, I was excited to play in the California Raisin bowl. At Fresno State, I mean, California raisins were a big deal. Big back. deal back. California raisins, they had a nice run. Oh, it's dope, <laughs> man! I had the little bouncing raisin on the back of the car. It was sweet. <laughs> All right, man. That is Trent Dilfer, and we will uh, we'll check in again. Thanks as always. Enjoy your vacation. All right, bye. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, that means real experts are checking your sneakers every stitch down to the sole. They'll even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax from the drop to your doorstep. eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay authenticity guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Buy. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering what made Buy so great. And it's actually pretty simple. Buy has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. And the flavors are delicious. For me, it has to be Buy Zambia Bing Cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose Buy. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Buy and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbuy.com. You want details? Buy. I drive a Ferrari. 
355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice. The email is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Quick marketing observation. Deodorant prices through the roof. Went to buy a couple sticks. You guys gel guys? Spray? Nobody's a spray guy anymore, right? I, I always see these Axe commercials, and I'm like, who's still buying this stuff? Like, are kids in high school still using Axe? I don't know. Sorry, to, apologies to Axe. I'm sure you have a great business model, but, you know, I don't Dude, know. Dude, Axe, the two-tone one, day or night, chocolate at night, it's completely, the pheromones Whoa. completely change. 2012? Whoa. Yeah. But no, I'm, Kyle, a, I'm, a, I'm like a, I'm a stick guy, not a gel guy. You're a stick guy, so just yeah. antiperspirant? Yep. No, not the natural stuff. That makes you smell even worse, so, you know. Ooh, shout out to the organics. Kyle, you had an Axe body spray face, right? Yeah, middle school, Kilo, baby. That's the only one. Or Phoenix. was a big Phoenix guy. But once it's out of From middle school. From the ashes. Once I, yeah. Once I, once I left middle school, I, I, I knew what the deal was. And I don't do it that did. anymore. Then I, became okay. a, then I was a Nautica scent guy who then worked his way into polo. Now I'm a Dolce & Cabana light blue. Oh, right. Light blue is very that's that's got a real ocean vibe. All the marketing for that. You just feel like it's outside little lemon on some arugula or something. It's just everything's crisp. What? It's fresh. Okay. Yeah. No, right. Whenever I see the light blue, I know I know what you're talking about. OK, good. What about you. Sir? Now that we're on this topic, Saruti. I'm not a big like cologne dude. So I guess like polo red is the one that I have, but that's I don't put scent. it on a lot. That's I don't really scent, go anywhere. Bro. So, yeah. All right. Canel so got me polo red for Christmas a couple years ago. True story. Wait, Canel bought you cologne for? He did. <laughs> I don't know why. He did. I must have mentioned it at some point. He remembered and he bought me another bottle. Yeah, it's. I still have it. I haven't really used it because I don't use cologne. But yeah, what signifies a Polo Red Night? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's been so long. But before it was like West Hartford for sure, Elbow Room, probably downstairs, borderline blackout. Yeah, that was that's that's the vibe. <laughs> I just got so excited. I, I mean, wish we, we had a video component of the life advice. I, you would have seen how I, I just got so happy on Saruti's behalf being like, all right, where are, where are we starting this? Would you yeah. eat in West Hartford Center before those big nights? No, or would I, didn't you, enough, you, I didn't have enough money then. We, that was a, that was a uh, couple chicken breasts at home, grilled, um, and then just start pounding probably Bud Lights, I would assume, at that point. And then continue to drink Bud Lights at Elbow Room. And Rooftop, then Polo, it was nice out too. I mean, it was oh, like yeah. a, it was like a, it, it's a weird place because it's kind of classy, but it's also really trashy. Um, that's kind of like I think what that whole strip on West Hartford is, even though we like to pretend that it's nice. Um, but yeah, no, that was like 2015, great times. But that's probably the last time I sprayed that on. Okay, all right, that's the last time you put on Polo Red was six years ago. Yeah, I just, I mean, I don't really, you know, since I got married, like I'm not really a I don't really wear cologne. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to Maddie. I didn't like give up like some guys do, but I just just not a big cologne guy. I feel like I have a naturally good scent, so I don't really need to like wow. you know wow anybody when I'm going wow. out. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> look at this guy. <laughs> Get a load of this guy with the natural like, scent. I'll take a 250 milliliter of Saruti, please. <laughs> That's in right. A travel size. <laughs> um. All right. I guess so. Wait, real quick, what do you weigh now compared to what you weighed uh, before you got married? So we'll check. Uh, in. Within five pounds, 
I'm okay. I I don't gain a ton of weight. I don't really work yeah, out a ton. Congrats. Uh, so now, nah, but it's not like a it's not it's it, you know Van Pelt used to call it skinny fat. Like I'm not in good shape, but I don't I, I don't carry a lot of weight on me. That's basically how you're I'm just right. not in danger of letting it get away from you though. That's solid for a guy who's married and that wants to stay that way. True. Yeah, I'm trying to you know the Pelotons just to get some cardio, get the heartbeat going a little bit, heart racing. And uh, but other than that, no, no lifting, no nothing. How much no do you do? How much do you love the subscription for Peloton? How much do you love continuing to pay for it? Um, well, shout out to Spotify <laughs> because, <laughs> because got a little stipend there. It's actually pretty great. You work out like twelve times a month; they'll, they'll refund you for a certain amount of it. So actually, don't uh, don't pay for a ton of it. So that's why we ended up getting it. I would have never gotten it. Yeah, there's some weird Spotify Peloton deal where you can, if it shows that you're working out on the Peloton, <laughs> if you report they, does Spotify, yeah, does Spotify pay for the entire setup? No, they like basically, I think you could do it anywhere. You can go to like a gym. You just have to prove that you worked out 12 times in a month Wait, and like what? send them the paper. Yeah, Kyle, right, we'll you, connect. you got in on this? We'll connect. Yeah. I think the mass might be leaving my, one of my gyms soon. So let's see. Yeah. So I, I just like submit a piece of paper and there you go. We'll talk. Refund for. All right. Okay. For a certain right. percentage. We were giving out advice. We didn't even realize it. So this is yeah. this is like a bonus one. All right, let's get to a couple of emails here. This one's tough for me. I feel like I'm going to be a little harsh to the emailer, but let's go with it. All right. No kids at the wedding. Ryan, Steve, Kyle, what's up? Um, don't take the 2 a.m. timestamp to think I'm in a state of utter inebriation right now. Sober as a judge. But as you can, I do look at some of these emails that roll in and then I'll get done reading it and I go, Kyle, this guy sent it at 3 a.m. Like, okay, this is why. And then we'll have some guys. I mean, this is what's really funny about it. We don't, we don't expose this. We'll get it at 7, 8 a.m. next day, check in and be like, hey, can you not read that email actually? <laughs> so we're getting not drunk texts. We're getting drunk emails at times. And then, you know, if somebody, hopefully, you know, you send the follow-up quick enough, we, we won't read them. We won't read them if you know, you ask. So we try to be nice about the whole thing. All right. But as you can deduce, I have uh, had many sleepless nights over the following. Let's dive in. 32 64190. Nice. This past spring, got engaged to an amazing girl. She's my best friend. I'm very excited for our future together. Our wedding is set for early fall 2022, and the wedding planning has been a bigger pain in the ass than I anticipated. Good and luck. let me assure you, I anticipated it to blow. You see, my fiance's mother and sister are, and there's no other way to put this, Ryan. They are, woo, that's a harsh word. All right. I think we can all be on the same page of what that one is. I'm not going to say it. They've never been a fan of mine. We swore so much last week on that last life advice that I actually felt bad for some Oops. of the parents that will listen to this. <laughs> I mean, we, we'll drop. We'll let it fly every now and then. That was a lot of swearing. So to the kids in the backseat, my bad. Um, they've never been a big fan of mine. So this is um, the fiance and the sister. Fiance's mother and sister. I guess the fiance is a fan. She said yes. Uh, they've never been a fan of mine throughout the duration of our relationship, and honestly, it doesn't bother me. I've never done anything other than treat their daughter and sister, my fiance, um, really well. Uh, just come to a little structure there. Uh, come to the conclusion that inevitably they'll just get over whatever fucking problems they seem to have. So here's the issue. The sister, let's call her Dolores. She likes to be the center of the show, uh, as always. And the mother, let's call her Satan. She tends to side with Dolores and alienate my fiance. It's a messed up dynamic. Uh, Dolores was supposed to get married in 2020, but there's this crazy virus. Yeah, I heard about it. Uh, so that her wedding got postponed. Long story short, her and her now husband did a micro wedding with the intention of having their big wedding in 2021. The wedding never happened because Dolores got pregnant and the big wedding they had planned was canceled. Ooh. Mm. Uh, 
With our wedding on the horizon, Dolores and Satan have been pretty manipulative. We aren't allowed to have an engagement party because our friends who offered to throw us one wanted to have the party a week before Dolores' child's baptism. And according to Satan, that wasn't cool. I guess probably because of COVID, I imagine. All right. The engagement party is literally the best part. A lot of times it's better than the wedding and the rehearsal dinner. Or the rehearsal dinner, I would rank the wedding fourth, reception third, rehearsal dinner second, engagement party one. And that's coming from somebody who's been engaged zero times. So maybe you shouldn't listen to me. Uh, it feels as if they have all this pent-up energy from Dolores' wedding not happening and unscratched itch for Dolores to put herself in the center of attention. Here's the main issue here, though, because I feel like I'm dragging on. Mm. Don't worry about it. I do it. We don't want Dolores' baby or any child at our wedding. Oh, a child-free wedding. Can it be done? Um, There are many reasons, but the main ones from where my fiance and I are sitting are as follows. Number one, the kid is going to be 13 months old. It's going to have no recollection of our wedding. So what's the point <laughs> of having it there? That feels a little harsh. The man. Disney World argument. Yeah. Honestly, it makes sense. That's Yeah. I knew Saruti, I knew Saruti was going to love that one. <laughs> That's me in my 20s. I'd be like, kid's not even going to remember it in six hours. Take it a car. Uh, I, you know, my 20s, if I had gotten married, plate cost would have definitely been an issue. Most importantly, this is number two. This day is supposed to be about my fiance. I want to have, uh, want her to have her day in the spotlight. I don't want this baby being there to create a platform for Dolores to go out of her way to seek attention, which I know she will. Looking for advice as the best handle this. Dolores has already been sending my fiance flower girl dress options for the baby. Totally unprompted, I might add. I can tell because you're not asking for him. I want to nip this in the bud before it gets out of control. Realize this might not be exactly in your wheelhouse. No. Um, the first thing I thought of was maybe like a Lollapalooza second stage. So, you know, the wedding like setup, wedding. <laughs> yeah, like the hearth, I believe your people call it a chopa. Um, I, I don't know why those cost so much. If you gave me a six pack, some lattice and a nail gun, I could get you a backdrop in 45 minutes. All right. Now you could do like a second hearth a second stage for Dolores Satan and the baby Satan's grandchild and that way she can have all the attention in the world what I'm telling you though is is that's not going to work your this isn't going to happen the kids coming to this wedding all right the kids coming to this wedding and what I would say to you is that you should let the kid come because that way Dolores will be focused on her 13 month old the flower girl thing's fine okay it's kind of cute man 13 months um, I, I wouldn't go down this road. I, you know, even if you're not going to have that much interaction with your in-laws and you already don't really like them and they don't like you, that's a big ask. I actually, if, if you do do this and ban a 13 month old from the wedding, please follow up with us immediately and let us know what other things you're amazing at. Cause I don't think a lot of guys would even try this. I'm telling you to not try it. And I do think that the baby being at the wedding is a good distraction for the sister-in-law because the sister-in-law without her daughter at this wedding actually might be a worse deal to sign up for because at least if she has a 13 month old there um that's the thing that's going to focus like that's going to be the attention getter if you're worried about like a baby stealing tension away from your wife <laughs> like who gives a shit man <laughs> i mean funny. people like babies you know They're like hey this wedding's an eight but it would have been a nine if the kid wasn't here <laughs> having people take pictures and hold them I mean, it's just what happens. It's a it's a family gathering. It's a friends gathering. People, but do you really want your sister in law there with her child being banned? Do you want that personality combination there for the day? Because I think you actually that would be a much worse deal 
than her center attention seeking vibe, um, I think her by herself would be a worse deal. So I don't really have more to add to that. Kyle? I think it would feel good to just make something that she wants not happen. I think that's probably his major motivation is like, I just want her to not win one. I just want her point. to not win one in the trenches when she makes it ugly or threatens to make it ugly or the the threat is there of her possibly making something ugly. Uh, I get why he wants to do it. But yeah, probably. I mean, at the end of the day, if this goes uh, badly and your wife's unhappy, isn't that like, isn't that the the worst part of the whole thing? I would imagine. So, you know, if it's going to if it's going to make things easier or better for her, I guess do whatever needs to be done. I will say I'm pretty sure Bill and Carrie, my aunt and uncle, had a no kids wedding. And so I don't know how uh, it went over. But I mean, Bill's, I think, an only child and Carrie has brothers that are cool. So I don't think anybody was there to object. But um, it's what about jeans? Did people have sensible jeans on? I don't know. Wasn't allowed to go. You weren't allowed to go. How old were you? I mean, I think they got married in, I don't know, around 99, 98. So I would have been like a, I mean, no, probably it was seven. That. It was it was like, oh, three. Okay. Then I would have been still, still definitely considered a kid. I was 10. You want a 10 year old? That was, you were probably wedding? worse. Yeah. Yeah. Then at six. Kyle at Watch 10 the is GPSs. Six. Watch the early GPSs. If I'm, if I'm, I'm kidding. But um, I just know I wasn't allowed to go. I was like, my parents came back. I was like, where'd you go? I was like, oh, you know, we were out wedding. There was no kids. So that's just stuck with me forever. You were mad at the time, though, were you? you probably, Absolutely. You home playing like GTA oh, or something. I, doing I mean, anything. Carrie was like my youngest aunt. I was like, she's still, she's still probably the coolest. If I'm drinking with one, it's probably would probably be her. So wow, yeah, how about a drive a by? To, how about a drive by to the other wives? Love you, Auntie <laughs> Noel. Love you, Auntie Noel. <laughs> um. I, I think we had a no kid see, but the difference is like I think we had a no babies policy at our wedding, not a no kids policy. Like there were a couple kids running around, but they were, you know, what like, is wrong with 10, you? Do you put that 12. on the invitation? It's, what how does it No, how does but it we get also didn't have communicated. I think it was communicated through our moms to be like, Hey, <laughs> if you've got if you've got kids, like this is this is kind of an adult only wedding. We did invite like there was like I think it was probably like a ten, a twelve and thirteen, fourteen year old um on my wife's side that I know well and I and I wanted them to be there. That's fine. But babies like you're right. Like, but here's the thing. Why would she even want to bring her baby to the wedding? You know, don't you want to have a good time at the wedding? You can't have a good time if you have a 13 month old at this wedding. And like, I get maybe you're living through your baby and everyone's going to pay you attention and she's going to get some sort of like satisfaction out of that. That's probably what this guy's talking about. But if I was this, if I was uh, Dolores, like, well, I, the only thing is like, maybe you show up for the pictures because everybody wants the baby and the family pictures, right? That's probably the biggest deal at the wedding. But then after pictures are done, if I'm Dolores, I'm like, you know, give babysitter could take the baby away and I'm going to have a good time at this wedding. So again, for this guy, I think he's actually, you guys hit it on the, hit the nail on the head. Like he's kind of dodging a bullet here. She's going to be preoccupied with the 13 month old the entire time. Yeah. I just wonder if, is the fiance on the same page as well? So, it sounded like she was. Yeah. I don't think this is out of nowhere. So, I mean, let the fiance have that conversation with her sister, but I still think you're, if she's this terrible of a sister-in-law, I think we're all on the same page. She's going to be worse without her kid than she would be with because she's going to be distracted. All right, let's get to another one here. Biggest decision of my life. Six, two and a half, 194. I'm trying to get down to 180. I checked in at 237 the other day, by the way. I don't feel fat, but that we might be approaching not just jacked. I, there's no way I put on that much muscle at this it stage is of my life. Season, right? So. Yeah, two thirty seven though. I may have just caught it on like the wrong way in. Is your scale you know? okay? Yeah, I was gonna say. 
Has it been? Cal- when's the last time it's been calibrated? It's a great question. Is the new year? I should ca- get that calibrated. I would say. I say bring it wait. into a place. Be yeah. like, hey, I can- you guys do calibrations here? <laughs> like this is Jiffy Loop, sir. All right. Uh, the important stuff. I'm at the crossroads of my career. I teach and coach basketball at a high school and everything is fine. I'm rather content. The last few seasons coaching have been a struggle. I'm an assistant varsity coach. and I realize that our head varsity coach is not one to coach up his assistants. Hmm. When I asked him about his mentality when he calls certain sets and why he makes in-game adjustments the way he does, he totally blows me off. <laughs> okay. Uh when I've been the head coach of our JV team during summer tournaments, he refuses to sit down with me and talk about game plans. He tells me he's too busy for a five-minute conversation. He's also completely hands-off when it comes to off-season training, recruiting kids on campus to come out for the team, checking in with players about their academic eligibility, and I pick up that slack. I don't mind doing the extra stuff. I know it's important, but it's frustrating when he acts like no one is putting in as much time as he is when that simply isn't the case. There's a head coach I've gotten to know in a few district, uh, a few districts over, who seems like a good dude, someone who wants his assistants to be the best they can be, and will coach them up to become better. He said, "If I ever want a spot in his staff, it's mine. In order to do this, I'd leave my current school district, which means starting over at a new school for the first time in ten years and giving up tenure, which I can earn back in two to three years. But you know, change, plus telling kids I coach that I'm leaving is tough. Understood." I don't know when I'll ever be a head coach myself, but it feels like I can't get there if the guy running my program doesn't help his assistants learn and grow. It just feels like I'm stuck in my current position and coaching is becoming joyless. Any insight you can shed about making a big career change would be appreciated. All right. Well, look, it sounds like you want to be a head coach more than anything else. And even though it would be emotionally, I don't even know if challenging is the right word. It's just something you don't necessarily want to go through and tell the kids that you're coaching him and a bounce. Um, at, at some point, if you're in the coaching profession, that's exactly what's going to happen. And you're not going to be with these high school kids forever. You get them for a couple of years and they cycle out and you move on to the next group. So if you truly want to be a head coach, then you got to leave this guy because it's clear. It's one of two things. He's so stuck in his ways that he, he finds you like really annoying. All right. Like for you to go, Hey, why did you do that? What was your philosophy <laughs> with this set? What, what are some of your in-game adjustments? If you're getting nothing back from him, he doesn't want to talk to you about any of those things. Now that could mean that he's an asshole. Okay. Um, it also could mean that he can't believe that you're asking him these questions because he's like, dude, I'm the head coach. I've been here a while. Like, just, you know, be the assistant and then that's it. And don't worry about it. So you're never going to get what you want out of this relationship with the current guy that you're with. It's just never going to happen. You've proven that with just a few sentences because every time you try to ask about this stuff, you also don't respect him. So I don't know what his version of you would be. Um, if he were talking to other people, maybe he doesn't even have one. It doesn't care because he, however, he's gone through his coaching profession. He doesn't see you. Um, he doesn't think his role involves any of the things that you think are important and you already have a job offer somewhere else or somebody else. So if coaching is the most important thing for you to be a head coach, this is a no brainer decision. You have to leave the current setup because the current setup is never going to change. This guy isn't all of a sudden going to start opening up to you. And chances are, like, I could probably guess that he can't believe, like, why does this guy keep asking me all this shit? And your your heart is in the right place. Your intentions seem like they're right. But, I mean, you're just going to run across this with every work relationship that you have. Some people are going to be very receptive to making sure that everyone around them feels wanted. And then there's other people who are just going to be like, hey, do your job and I'll do mine. And that's fine. And like I said, in the current setup, you're never going to be it's never going to change. If this is the reaction that you're getting to some of this stuff where the guy's completely blowing you off and you don't even think he works that hard in the first place, um, another season with him is just a waste of your time. 
Facts. The nightmare is if there isn't another job, right? That's when people like hate what's going on and don't necessarily see a way out. So, I mean, you never know. That guy might not even, who gave you the offer, might not even be there if you wait too long. And then it's like, oh, well, now I've got no option. So, yeah, I would take that. And then, too, it sounds like he works for a school district, which means that that's in the same state, which means that the stakes are pretty low. He's still going to be able to retire on time. And it's not like he's going to lose any of his, you know, I know when teachers go between states, sometimes they lose stuff. Uh, and it's as far as years towards retirement or whatever. But I mean, just outside of tenure, like that's like the stakes are low. Yeah, do it, man. That's fun. And he just said if he hadn't said himself like, yeah, tenure, but whatever, I can get it back in two or three years. So he's he's already done the calculus to know that that's that's part of it that he's fine with. It doesn't matter. I mean, again, I would ask you very simply, like if there's other factors you left out that I don't know, but based on the information we have here, you want to be a head coach. You want to work with somebody who's going to help you grow. That's never going to happen. You just proved it with everything that guy said. He said he has zero interest in you, to be honest with you. So, yeah, and two, two, three years of tenure. I mean, that's not that big of a deal, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, just going back to his like wanting to learn from somebody. And I, I didn't like realize this when I was younger, but I did realize that on you know a few different shows that I worked on when I was trying to become a producer and work in radio and trying to figure out what my career was. It is important to have people that believe in you that are like above you, right? Like Ryan, you always believed in me, which is great. When I and it feel like it like spurred wow. on my career. Will Kane, same thing. A bunch. Of, there are a lot of talent that I work with that like believed in me and actually trusted me. And that's a really important thing for someone young and trying to figure out what you want to do in life. So, and it, but if you work with somebody who has no value of your opinion, even if you feel like you're doing a good job, that actually that really does fuck you up and stunt your growth. So I think you need to get out of there. Like I think I, I don't think there's anything for you there. There's no value. You're not going to learn anything, even if you're. Even if you're here's the thing, like you can be giving this coach terrible ideas, but he's not giving you any feedback on that. Right. So if you go to this new opportunity, he could tell you, hey, man, this is wrong. Here's why. And you can learn and grow. So I think this is a no brainer. I think you got to bounce, dude. Yeah, honestly, I think you made the best point of the entire podcast right there is that if you're younger, you are always kind of hoping there's going to be somebody that believes in you. And um, and it's real, though, you know, like there's plenty of people out there like I I've told this story before, but we had one friend who a couple years after graduation, you know, started doing the tech thing startup before we even knew what the hell it was, you know, so it might've been like 2001, 2002 and he'd moved out West and you know, we were like, what's going on with him? He's like, oh, he's with this company. It's going to be amazing. And we were just like, wait, really? Like he's going to make all this money. Cause like we didn't understand it, right now. Everybody understands startups and, and IPOs and oh, the founder and the, here are all your stock options. And here was what you could be worth on paper. I mean, that's part of our understanding of everyday economy. Right. But back then when, you know, again, it was, it was a little more obscure, even though I know it was the norm of the financial world, you got to understand like we're just 23, 24, 25 going like, what, what's going how does this work? And, you know, I had a good buddy and I was like, well, what's it like at this workplace? And he was like, oh my God, my manager believes in me so much. And the manager, now I look back on some of the stuff that he was telling me that this manager was saying to him, it was all bullshit. It was just motivational ploy stuff. You know, these sales managers that set these, these markers at like ridiculous numbers, knowing almost everybody's going to fail. But it's like, well, if I just ask for it, I don't think I can even get, it's going to drive you that much harder to reach these goals. And it's like, okay, like I know what you're doing. I understand the point you're making. So anyway, back to Saruti's point of like having somebody, whether it was me or Will Kane or whatever, Saruti would always know that it was sincere. Like I wasn't just going around and telling 20 young people that worked there, but like, you're amazing. You have unlimited potential. You have no idea how high your ceiling is. You know what I mean? Because if you have half a brain, you're like, wait, this person doesn't really take any interest in me whatsoever. Just told me I'm fucking awesome. Um, 
And so for our coach guy here or anyone else, like there's, there's an incredible value where you start going, all right, I, I think I'm on the right path. But when somebody who's good at this and has what you want tells you, hey, keep coaching. Here's how this works. All these different things. Like it can feel, I mean, it sucks in life because it can feel like we'll all have phases of it no matter how successful, unsuccessful you are at the time, where you can be in these spots, be like, wait, is this actually going anywhere if you are determined to keep growing? And there's plenty of people who are just like, hey, look, I'm going to ride this out. Look at my 401k every month in 30 years. Like, fuck it. See ya. You know, there's also that, which can be a lot less stressful too. So, um, yeah, I think that's it. We have anything else? New Year's? Now, Frolic room? Still there, Kyle. I, re- Kyle, I retweeted a little bit. Yeah, what was what was going weekend. on there? I just loved it. You loved it. I just liked what you had to say. You were you were just like, all right, it's on. And then there was like a headbanger sitting by himself. Did yeah. you know he's being videoed? No, no, but he wouldn't care. He's a good guy. He's a regular. He's a regular. He was just. What were you guys listening to, Ronnie James? I don't Ronnie know. James he, Dio. He put that on. I don't know what it is. All whenever he's running the show, it all sounds like Metallica to me. I don't know what it was. He's always constantly like, yo, man, I, you know, I just don't like rap, but I'll respect it. I was like, okay, we don't have to talk about it. It's just playing. And then, you know, he'll, then he'll, then he'll, you know, bump himself up onto some sort of, uh, some sort of metal headbanger music. But, um, he even like, you know, he'll respect seventies rock. It's like, yeah, I know guy, it's the best kind, but, um, whatever. He's a nice guy. He's great. He's never said a bad word. And sometimes he just fucking bangs his head at the bar without a drink in his hand. I don't know. I got to get up there. <laughs> and I gotta get up there soon. I gotta, yeah. Honestly, I feel I feel bad that I haven't. After the content you were tweeting out this weekend, I was like, I gotta, I gotta stop by this place, check it out. <laughs> All right, we'll be back on Wednesday. Happy New Year, everybody! Thanks to Kyle and Steve. Please subscribe, Rhyme Solo Podcast, for your Spotify. <laughs>